Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are joined today for our annual traditional Seahawks season in review by third Pelton brother and contributor to The Athletic Seattle, Ben Baldwin. Ben, thanks for joining us again. Yep, thanks for having me. Um, the past couple of years, we, we thought the end of the Seahawks uh, seasons were disappointing because they went out with disappointing playoff losses, but little did we know it could be much worse. So here we are. But yet went out with back-to-back wins. So that's the upside of not making the playoffs is you get the chance for your season to end on a victory that's not if it's not your, the Super Bowl champion. Yeah, it, it is kind of nice having these low stakes games where like if you lose, it doesn't matter. And it's just kind of funny, like the Bears game. And then if they win, like the last two weeks, like, oh, this this is kind of fun. Um, so, yeah, there is there is definitely an upside to not having a team with uh, any hopes after October or whatever it's been. I mean, obviously, the downside of today's game, we should start with a get well soon for Quandre Diggs, who had to be taken off the field on a stretcher in the uh, fourth after suffering an injury in the fourth quarter of this game. I mean, you never want to see an injury of we don't know the severity at the time we're recording immediately after the game. But based on the reactions from everyone around there and Quandre Diggs own reaction looked very serious, but especially then for a guy who was in his final game before hitting unrestricted free agency, just the timing could not possibly be more unfortunate. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it, it sort of added some clarity to paying attention to these games at the end of the year. You talked about, you know, thinking that they're fun, but for these athletes, this is their job that they're doing. Right. Like these games might be meaningless to us as fans or whatever with playoff hopes. But for them, this it means so much. And this game obviously means a lot to all of the athletes that are playing. And I think, you know, we we understand going in that it's a brutal sport and obviously wish Quandre Diggs all the best and a speedy recovery and really hoping that he's able uh, to get back out there if he wants to. Uh, It's been a really tough place for Seahawks safeties. I mean, we've seen the last last game as a Seahawk for Earl Thomas, the last game in the NFL for Cam Chancellor, and possibly the last game as a Seahawk for Quandre Jiggs. And then Richard Sherman's injury on that same field too. I mean, Arizona, despite being a place where the Seahawks have had tremendous success over the years, one Super Bowl that was canceled aside, uh, still strangely a house of horrors in terms of health. So you hate to see that again. When I think as fans, you know, we, we have these conversations in such long terms, right? We're thinking of things. We know we're going to be a fan of the Seahawks in 10, 15 years or whatever, right? Like we can project out after that. But a playing career is such a short period of time that every single game matters to every single player on that field and for their long-term health and financial sustainability. And uh, obviously, more than any of this, Quandre Diggs' health and everybody who's out there's health is more important than anything that happened on the field. But we are heading into the offseason Uh, and many changes potentially coming for the Seahawks and excited to talk about the the next season. Yeah, a lot of uncertainty. I mean, I think that's maybe the difference between this podcast and, you know, Ben mentioned the disappointment of the last couple of years losing in the first round of the playoffs and then in the second round the year before that in lopsided fashion. But in those cases, you had a pretty good sense that the core of the team was going to stay the same, even though we did go through Russell Wilson trade rumors last year. 
now there is a much greater degree of uncertainty reports over the weekend, Michael Silver of NFL Network, that you know nobody in the building knows what's going to happen, what Jody Allen plans to do after this season. Uh, a, a report from Mike Garofolo of NFL Network on Sunday that Pete Carroll is uncertain about his future and that the Seahawks don't play, plan to trade Russell Wilson, but whether Russell Wilson plans to be traded is something that he has you know, refused to commit to when he's been asked about it repeatedly in press conferences. So I guess we start out with just generally, Ben, What's your thoughts on where the Seahawks stand as an organization? And even though nobody knows what's going to happen, do you have an expectation or a guess at what's going to happen? Yeah, so I think in some ways, the the Russell Wilson injury and the Seahawks missing the playoffs kind of uh, distracted from what is ultimately the, the dissatisfaction that uh, at least myself has had about the Seahawks. Um, and like in an alternate world, Russell Wilson doesn't get hurt. They probably still lose that game to the Rams in our two and three with a five and O team and a four and one team in their division. Uh, I, I think they would probably make the playoffs and then they would probably be in a very similar situation to the last couple of years where they're going to the playoffs with a very, very small shot of actually winning the conference. So I see why there are these rumors circulating about the future of Pete Carroll and John Schneider, where like you have this elite quarterback, even though he often didn't play like it after he was injured, but you just haven't had these results where you're just not a relevant team in the NFL. And I, I think, at least for me, if, if I were an owner, I think I would probably not be satisfied with that. And uh, especially as Russell Wilson gets older, there's just not going to be that many cracks at it. So for the Seahawks, it, do I think about trading Russell Wilson if he doesn't want to get traded? No. If I'm Russell Wilson, do I still want to be there? Uh, I haven't seen anything from the Seahawks recently that shows me that this is going to be a contender in the near future. So um, if Russell Wilson comes to, uh, I guess, Jody Allen, which is, I guess, that's not really how it works. I know Ben says, I want out of here. If there aren't major changes, then I think that you have to strongly consider making those changes. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes back to, you know, whatever the rumors are, whatever the discussion is, Russell Wilson's the, the two opinions that matter are again from ownership and Jody Allen and Burt Coldy is a, a trusted advisor and the president of Vulcan or not the president, but uh, overseeing Vulcan sports and entertainment. And then what Russell Wilson wants, that's going to drive a lot of this. The Seahawks may have no plans to trade Russell Wilson, but if he plans to be traded, that, that could force them to change that to trade him no matter what their plans are. Or if he wants Pete Carroll gone. Yes. Which, I mean, that was something that uh, Third Pelton brother Mike Sean Dugar posted on Twitter last week is, you know, just asking people, do you think Russell Wilson wants to stay in Seattle? And my answer to that question is, I think his first choice is, and again, obviously, this is completely all speculative. None of us have any inside info here to the extent that anyone does. His first choice is stay in Seattle on my terms. His second choice is go somewhere else. And his third choice is stay in Seattle on the Seahawks terms. And now exactly whether those terms include Pete Carroll continuing as coach, that that's the question. Yeah. And a lot of it is like things we don't know ultimately what drove his dissatisfaction last year. But like one of the things he mentioned was the pass protection in front of him and like by multiple different metrics, it just hasn't been good again. And now the Seahawks have, uh, as we'll talk about, two tackles hitting free agency and no 
uh, high draft pick that, that they would have had if, if they hadn't uh, done the Jamal Adams deal. So if, if he comes to them and says, what is your plan for putting a top tier offensive line in front of me? And they can't answer that question, then I do not think he would react to that well. It's, it's an interesting question. I and mean, we've been back and forth on this so many times. I, I guess it's so hard to speculate about exactly what's going to happen. I guess, Ben, you as a Seahawks fan, if you're willing to identify yourself as such, what do you want to have happen? Certainly lots of other people on have identified you as a Seahawks fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, I, so, so it was two years ago that I, on this podcast, I made the case for a new head coach for the Seahawks. And like, honestly, I haven't seen anything that has maybe changed my mind. And if, if anything, it's not like things have gone well in the past two seasons, they haven't won a playoff game. So if I was already at that point, then I'm, I'm basically still there. How about a, a temperature check on both of you on, on this? Well, does that include John Schneider as well? Is that basically whole regime change or is it just Pete Carroll? So I don't know how you separate the two. So yeah. if I'm getting rid of Pete Carroll, then Schneider's out too. Schneider has to be complicit in, in some sense. If like the Jamal Adams trade and the, I know Rashad Penny had four good games, but if you're a general manager of a team making that draft pick, then sorry, then it, it's time for something else. Well, that was one of the questions I had on my rundown, which is probably unanswerable is, you know, do you blame Pete Carroll or John Schneider more for the fact that the Seahawks haven't had the success in the playoffs the last few seasons that you would expect from a team with that caliber of quarterback? I I do think there's this notion out there that like, oh, if we just get Pete Carroll out of, you know, uh, football operations out of the offseason part of it, the roster part of it, then everything's going to be fixed. Like it was when Mike Holmgren oversaw that when he first came to Seattle and relinquished those duties and focused on coaching and the team was much more effective. I think there's number one, there's more of a partnership. I don't think Pete Carroll is out there like actively, he's not scouting players over the course of the season. Obviously he's busy coaching. So I think John Schneider is still driving a lot of those decisions and he wasn't, he probably would have taken one of the GM jobs that was out there. But also I think it strains credulity to be like, well, all the mistakes the Seahawks made, those were Pete Carroll, but all the good things they did, that was John Schneider. Yeah, I, th- I think it, we can't answer whether we can parse out which of the two is responsible. I, one, one question that we could answer is, is it more on the side of coaching or on the side of player personnel that has put the Seahawks in this position? And, and I would, I would say player personnel. Like I, I think those, for the most part, those decisions move the needle a lot more than like our, our frustrations with how Pete Carroll approaches game management. But, um, but since, since uh, Carroll and Schneider are working together on, on the player personnel side, it, it's really hard to kind of divide up who's responsible for yeah. the state of the roster. There's no separating the Seahawks from what Pete Carroll wants to do as a coach. There's really no separating yeah. the roster from it. And, and I think for Mike Holmgren, there was a little bit of Mike Holmgren was willing to coach a little bit more toward the skills of the players that he was provided. Pete Carroll is coaching a specific type of team, a Pete Carroll team. And they're bringing in players who are Pete Carroll players for that scheme. So I think, I mean, I guess John Schneider, if he were to go somewhere else, I could see John Schneider being a good GM in another location without Pete Carroll. I, I don't know if you can separate Pete Carroll from John Schneider here, but ultimately that doesn't really change anything. I think as far as a temperature check of what we want to have happen, I'm probably in the same boat as you, Ben. I, I'm not all the way 100% there. And it's really just the gray area of what, what, the, what the 
outcome would be if Pete Carroll were to move on. Like who they would hire? Who they would hire. And it's like, if if you could pick from whatever, if it was Brian Dable, if it was Eric Bieniemy, if it was possibly Kellen Moore, I, I'd have maybe even, maybe even some questions about somebody like Kellen Moore and his age coming in and managing that locker room and the Russell Wilson relationship. Not Dan Quinn. <laughs> If, if it was, you know, like a Vic Fangio type, a Dan Quinn type, somebody like that, like I would prefer Pete Carroll. So yeah. it, it's one of those things where we're not going to have say over who the next coach is. And if, if Pete Carroll is an average NFL coach, when you take all of his skills, positive and negative, I think we might be in the best scenario with Pete Carroll, given the uncertainty of who the next coach would be. I mean, I honestly, even though these games haven't meant anything in terms of playoff positioning, the last two games have made me feel better about the possibility of moving forward with Pete Carroll and Sean Schneider. And partially because of the fact that I think we've we've seen for the first time, maybe since the Indianapolis game that Ben and I were at and so excited to meet up at halftime and like everything we'd hoped for from the Shane Waldron offense had finally been unleashed. Like in the last couple of games, it started to look a little more like that. And, it, and especially today's game against Arizona, like it's one thing to do it against the Lions defense, but this is a Cardinals team that wanted badly to win and still struggled to stop the Seahawks. I mean, offense. Had they won, they'd be division winners. This is a yeah. huge game for the Cardinals. They'd be hosting a playoff game next weekend instead of planning to play at the Rams next weekend. So oh, I did not realize that was the outcome. Yeah. <laughs> it's wow. going to be delicious first round matchup between Kingsbury and McVay. A rematch of last year's playoff game between them that happened the, in week the 17. The only bad thing about that matchup is that somebody has to win. <laughs> Anyways, all that has made me feel better that even within the confines of Pete Carroll's conservatism, and his game management and all of those issues, that there's a way that you can build an explosive Seahawks offense out of that. If, you know, maybe Rashad Penny continues having anything remotely close to the success he's had over the final quarter of the season, plus a healthy Russell Wilson. Are you convinced, Ben? (laughs) I mean, I still think it would be better for them if they hired an offensive-minded head coach. I'm just saying, I feel a lot more optimistic about the 2022 Seahawks with Pete Carroll after the last two games. Yeah, I think it's it's not terrible. Like with Pete Carroll, they're they're probably not going to be contenders or win a championship, but they'll they'll be I guess relevance not the right word given what happened this season, but they, they will mostly play entertaining and sometimes frustrating football. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the other questions I had coming into this podcast was, okay, let's say that the core of the Seahawks is unchanged. Russell Wilson returns next year. Pete Carroll and John Schneider return next year. You know, assuming just an average free agency and retention of the other players who are, you know, out of contract, what's your prediction for the Seahawks record in 2022? So I think it'd be, I think they're over under this year was nine and a half wins. So I, I think next year would probably be right 10. on there. And I, okay, 10. Oh yeah, I, I think it was, it was nine and a half for a lot of the off season and then moved up at the last second. Um, and yeah, I, I think it'd be around there next season. Um, they're like, they have a positive point differential. They're in the top half of the league, uh, more so probably in, in DVOA. So like their, their underlying metrics are pretty good. And that's even with playing Geno Smith for some games and having Russell Wilson not look like himself for some games. So like they should be expected to be an above 500 team. It's just 
when they're in the NFC West, it's just t- such tough sledding for getting home games in the playoffs and making making a dent in the NFC playoffs once that comes around. We, I mean, we've seen it with with the other teams in the NFC West, right? There's three teams in the NFC West that their road to the Super Bowl is very difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And I would I wouldn't say that. I, I guess I haven't seen odd, odds wise, but the Rams is presumably the favorite of the three NFC West playoff teams are probably the third or fourth favorite to come out of the NFC given, given the the path that they have. Yeah. Especially now after um, their, their first round matchup against the Cardinals has been solidified that that's not easy. And then if, if all the favorites won in the first round, their next, their next game would be going to Lambeau, which is also not the easiest thing in the world. So yeah. So they, um, and that, that's what, that was one of their losses already this season. And, and now it's not going to be, uh, exactly a, a warm weather situation so it, it, it's definitely tough sledding to get there and now that there's only one buy if you don't have the number one seed it's for any team it, it's really hard to make it through and this it's not the Seahawks fault that they play in a really hard division but it's, it's just playing in the NFC West with all these good teams it, it's hard to get that number one seed for sure I think it drives a degree of the arms race that exists in the NFC West that all of these teams are, you know, so concerned about each other that that's why you're, you know, aggressively pursuing Odell Beckham Jr. or trading multiple first round picks, whether it's for Stafford or or Adams or, or Trey Lance in, you know, is kind of a more long-term option for the 49ers. I definitely think there's a pressure. These all teams all feel because of each other. And Pete Carroll sort of referenced that at times in his, uh, his Pete Carroll show. I wonder if we're going to get to like eight years from now and look back on this time. Like the NFC West will be terrible in eight years because within the last two seasons, three out of the four NFC West teams have traded multiple first round picks for a player. Right. And long-term that's going to affect all these teams in, in the present tense. They're all pretty good teams. None of them are probably Super Bowl contenders at this point, but there might be a huge void of talent as Aaron Donald ages and as Debo Samuel ages and Russell Wilson. Right. One of those players is a lot younger than the others. But still, the, Debo Samuel is probably going to age faster than some of those other players. Who's the, who's the Niners star? Jimmy Garoppolo? They got trailers. George, George, George Kittle. Kittle. George Kittle, sure. Anyway, when you look at the season, I, I guess two thoughts. If we're reading the tea leaves, I feel like the vibes have been very good these last couple of weeks. I think a lot of people have gone out of their way to say as positive as they're willing to say statements about the organization and their interest in being here. At, at the same time, on the field, it feels like everybody wants to be there and everybody's very committed to being there and to each other. And we've seen that. I think they kind of needed these two games. This organization, if they lose these last two games, Pete Carroll's gone. I absolutely believe that if they lose maybe either of these last two games, especially the Lions one, I think Pete Carroll is definitely not the head coach next year. As it was, we're ending the season probably feeling the best about the team and the organization since we felt since 2015, right? It's been a long time since we felt this good about the team at the end of the year. I, I suppose at the end of the year, but yeah, like I, I think like halftime of week two of the Tennessee game, we were feeling pretty damn good about the organization better than we are now. And at the same time, when you look at some of the underlying metrics, like we, we don't have updated DVOA through the end of the year, they probably will be top 10 team by DVOA. That's with Russell Wilson missing three games, Russell Wilson playing pro- poorly for another three games. He suffered an eight week re- injury and came back after four weeks. Right. 
given those metrics, like I, it's all there. I don't know if it's all there to necessarily say that Steam could go out and win the Super Bowl, given all the stuff that we just talked about. But are they good enough with those underlying metrics when you add in a fourth place schedule, when you add in, you know, knock on wood, a healthy Russell Wilson, when you potentially add in knock on wood, a healthy Rashad Penny, uh, all of these different things, potentially getting defensive players back, having another year of DJ Reed, Trey Brown, players like that, clearing out the Bobby Wagner cap space and having a little bit of money to spend. A lot of the underlying metrics from the Seahawks this season are positive going forward, especially when you factor in Russell Wilson for that period of time. So I'm not sure if we've necessarily reached the point that it is time to make a change, given all of that. I mean, I still think, again, if you got the right coach and it was someone who was more aggressive in terms of utilizing Russell Wilson, taking advantage of fourth downs, there would still be an opportunity to upgrade from Pete Carroll. But yes, you've laid out the case for the ways that it could be, a, there could be a downside to that coaching change. There's a lot of risk. It's sort of how, depending on how much risk you're willing to take. I mean, the other question that I feel like has changed dramatically in terms of tenor the last couple of weeks is, should the Seahawks, especially if Pete Carroll and John Schneider are retained, consider proactively trading Russell Wilson uh, because of the fact that if they're going to use him like Derek Carr, maybe you should actually just have Derek Carr instead of Russell Wilson. One of the things I did a bunch of research into recently was quarterback aging. And I know you like to deny, Tristan, that aging for quarterbacks is a thing or that Russell Wilson will ever decline. If you look at you know, I, I looked at quarterbacks who had played at least 10 years in the league since the year 2000, and they tend to peak around age 30. There's a pretty, pretty rapid decline the next few years after that. And then it kind of levels off, which may be uh, an issue of survivorship bias that the quarterbacks who really suffer at that stage of their career just aren't playing at that point, whereas the guys who are left are the ones who age abnormally well. I think there is a decent chance that Russell Wilson is in that group. If you look at that, the projection for Wilson is that he'll play somewhere between his, for next year, age is 2022 season, is that he'd play, you'd expect him to play somewhere around the average of his 2016 and 2017 seasons. So significantly below where he was 2018 through 2020, given his age, although obviously above where he was this year. And then the other thing I looked at was, you know, if you project based on performance over the past three seasons, what does that say? Well, if you look at Russell's whole season, Wilson's whole season, this was through, I think, before the Detroit game, he was like 20th. But then if you took it at the moment he got injured against the Rams, he jumped up to like sixth, which is to say, if you think his finger is fine and the finger is reason, the reason he struggled in the second, you know, the middle part of the season, then you can probably still expect mostly elite play from Russell Wilson going forward. Yeah, I think um, his his PFF grade was like second among all quarterbacks through five weeks and Seattle's offense was fifth in DVOA through five weeks. So like there's all this revisionist history about how good the offense has been or how, or how good Russell Wilson has been. And, and I've seen a lot of conflating Russell Wilson in that Packers game or in that uh, Cardinals game or Washington game with who Russell Wilson has been his entire career, or even in the first five weeks of this season. And I think one of the reasons that this is important is because if we remember down the back stretch of last year, people said, oh, everyone has solved Russell Wilson. You just have to play cover two, um, play two high safeties, and he can't punish you for that. And um, the 
if, if that were true, or either that wasn't true in the first place, or it was true and Wilson and the Seahawks figured out some adjustment to it in the beginning of this year, because the offense was totally fine before he got hurt. And then he got hurt and the offense uh, was bad. And then all these people came and I said, Oh, I, I told you so Russell Wilson's not that good or whatever, like all these crazy opinions because of a quarterback playing with a broken finger. So it's exactly like Kevin said, it's either he's going to fully recover from his finger and be more or less the same player we've seen recently, or his, his finger will hamper him going forward. And the, the, for us, there's just no way of knowing that. Um, but the, the team will have some information on his medical side, I guess. But if I had to guess, I, I would guess that we would see someone pretty close to what we saw in the first stretch of this year and someone who can be the quarterback of a very good offense. So I, 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 I personally would not look into trading Russell Wilson unless he demanded it. And then you had no choice. I mean, the other thing I think about the first stretch of the season is the Seahawks didn't necessarily score as many points or possess the ball as long as you would expect given their DVOA and, and how well Wilson rated. And the reason for that is because they were struggling on third down, but third downs are wildly inconsistent from game to game. And then we've seen the last two weeks as part of this winning streak down the season, the Seahawks got the opposite side of that third down randomness where all of a sudden they started hitting every third down. And it turns out your offense is way better when you hit every third down than when you miss every third down. And it doesn't say anything about how good your offense is. It's just noise. Yeah. And, and the other reason that, the Seahawks had low time of possession in the first few weeks of the season was they kept scoring all these long touchdowns. And that's like, that's not something you should penalize the offense for. Like if you score a touchdown, then you take the touchdown and that's good. I, there was, there was maybe a little part of Pete Carroll that was upset when Rashad Penny ripped off that touchdown run when they were trying to run out the clock. No, Pete Carroll's never upset about a touchdown I run. I yeah. If it would have been a pass, he would have been upset. <laughs> he saw, he saw Rashad Penny running that in and there was, there was joy throughout his body. Should we have the Rashad Penny conversation? Ben, Rashad Penny matters. Yeah, so Rashad Penny has mattered in the past four games. Every time we say that about any running back who has ever existed, the, the predictive power of that is very low. So I'm happy for Rashad Penny. He's gone through a lot. The injuries have been um, really rough, and I hope he gets paid a lot of money by somebody over the offseason. And if you're the team that pays him that money, good luck. I mean, do you think he will get paid a lot of money over the offseason? I mean, there's still probably going to be a lot of concerns about his durability after the last few seasons. And the money, the market for running backs is terrible. So I, I don't know if I feel like his value is going to be that high. I think that's fair. All it, all it takes is one team. But on the other hand, it, it's kind of not that different than the Chris Carson situation last year where like it, he's agreed upon as a good running back, although Carson has a longer history of being so with injury concerns and Carson's market really wasn't there. So yeah, I, I think it's plausible that the same thing could happen with Penny. Although I guess one difference is the, uh, the draft capital invested is, is a lot different. So to the extent that draft capital is a proxy for how people view a player's underlying talent, I guess that's the thing that Penny does have. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I have no feel for what his market might be over the offseason. I mean, the reality is the team who's going to pay him is probably going to be your Seattle Seahawks. Uh, <laughs> they, they were the ones that invested that draft capital. In yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although they weren't the only ones that were interested in him. There, there was, wasn't there a, a rumor of a proposed trade up? Oh, yeah. The, the Lions really wanted to trade up for him. Um, 
and they didn't, and we're stuck with Carry On Johnson instead. Yeah, but now they have Dan Campbell, so the Lions are analytics. Yep. God, I love Dan Campbell. Um, <laughs> when you look at DVOA wise, this is again before today. Rashad Penny, nineteen point three DVOA, which throughout the full season would put him at second best running back in the NFL. Rashad Penny. And that would be one thing if every single running back on the team was performing at that level, but basically no other running back post Chris Carson has played even above average, right? Did, like you, did you check out the DJ Dallas and Travis Homer DVOAs because they're pretty good in a small sample too. Are the Travis Homer DVOA is fine. Carson's is good. Travis Homer's. Oh, well, Travis Homer's like 35. Is kind of, <laughs> Travis Homer's is kind, kind of bonkers. It's a small sample. Is, I don't, is I don't there like one of. carry that's, that's, a complete outlier there. Was but, he the one on the fake punt that went for? Oh, I bet that is. I bet <laughs> I'm that's not sure the one. If they're counting that or not. But you look at Alex Collins, who carried the ball the most of the team. He's the only person who qualified in for amount of runs by DBA and Football Outsiders, and he's basically below league league average as a runner. Rashad Penny hasn't done it in one game. He's rattled off multiple games doing this, and you do look at that and you see some of those runs. The one that closed it out today. The speed that he has, it's different. Alex Collins is probably not scoring a touchdown there on that play. Chris Carson might not be scoring a touchdown on that play. And seeing Rashad Penny has had an ability to find the holes, some ability to break tackles, and has the speed to go with it. It feels like, I mean, I said this two seasons ago when Rashad Penny got injured, that the team was looking very good before he got injured. Rashad Penny was looking good. When he's been able to play and play consistently and healthy, He's been a very good running back and it's just the durability is always the concern. But if anybody was going to matter as a running back, I feel like it is Rashad Penny. How about that? Uh, I've heard this for so many different players. <laughs> but it's also, and we know it's very temporary also. That, that's the thing that we know about running backs is if there is a period of time where a running back matters, we know that window is extremely short. So it's not like we don't want the Seahawks to invest in them long-term necessarily because you get to a certain point and no running back matters after that point. But if they're going to be paying him similar to what they're paying Carson this year, I think it's fine. I, I would endorse that at this point. So a couple of th thoughts here. Number one, coming into today, Penny had played a much easier slate of defenses than either Chris Carson or Alex Collins had. They, if you look at them, their DVOA is higher than their unadjusted VOA, which means you've played a more difficult schedule. His was the opposite. The 300 yard games he had to start out this stretch all came against bottom 10 runs defenses, which makes today very different for me because the Cardinals, like all teams in the NFC West, are very good at run defense. The NFC West, nobody values the run quite like the NFC West. Uh, the, the thing about you mentioned his speed. I mean, Penny's home run hitty ability is getting like historic in terms of proportions. After today, he had three of them, including the touchdown. He now has 19 carries of 20 plus yards in his career. His 11 this season will end up third in the NFL in the limited playing time he had behind Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb. Those 19 are on 280 career carries. Chris Carson has 21 yards carries of 20 plus yards on 770 carries. And even our beloved probably matters. Marshawn Lynch, 26. Oh, I thought carries. you were going to say Thomas Rawls. Well, he had nine on 380. He had a pretty decent proportion, but not as high as his penny. Lynch, 26 on 1,044 carries with the Seahawks. I don't know if that's exactly what Chris Carson and Marshawn Lynch do, but Ben, are you now willing to say that Rashad Penny matters? So the, the other thing in his defense is the, um, the next gen stats, rushing yards over expected model. So this is, um, 
This is based on player tracking data in the position of every defender and every offensive player at the time of the handoff. So um, in theory, it, it takes into account um, if, if the box is loaded against you, whether defenders are in position for a tackle, like every, everything that you can measure based on player tracking data. And uh, just looking at raw rushing yards over expected, only two players finished the season with more than Rashad Penny. And that was Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb. And Taylor had 213 more carries than Penny. <laughs> and Chubb had 109 more carries than Penny. Um, and Penny led the league in rushing yards over expected per attempt um, out of out of everybody in, in this model. So like, yes, he absolutely made the most of his carries and was awesome this year. It's, it's just the question whoever is thinking about paying him has to ask themselves is um, how much we can expect this to continue going forward. The one thing I'm curious, has this been studied, the consistency of long runs? Like, is there any, because my sense is if there is running back ability, it's probably going to be less about your ability to, you know, avoid negative carries, to avoid stuffs and things like that, because that's probably going to have more to do with your offensive line. And it's going to have more to do with the differences between what you do when you get to the second level. So my memory of this is that if you're projecting college players to pro players, then one thing that is predictive is the rate at which you're hitting home runs. But for example, the, the rushing yards over expected model, like players that perform well in one year tend to not be able to repeat that. Like there, there's very few players that do it. And the ones that do just coincidentally happen to be playing behind dominant offensive lines, like Nick Chubb, not that Nick Chubb isn't awesome, but there's all these Browns at the top of this leaderboard every single season. Ben Baldwin just admitted that running backs matter. <laughs> we heard this, right? Yeah. Okay. Running backs can matter retrospectively, but predicting which ones will matter going forward is a different question. <laughs> my, my case to Tristan earlier before Rashad Penny's game. He was game screaming. Was... There was yelling involved. I'm was... shocked how muted this conversation is. <laughs> I mean, because Rashad Penny won me over. He ran for like that a was it. That was that, to steal that's the game. Like, uh, yeah. But that it would be remarkable if, like, there's all these running backs, Derrick Henry, supposedly the the engine of the Tennessee offense, which weirdly, as long as A.J. Brown is healthy, and maybe to a lesser extent Julio Jones, continues to be very effective without Derrick Henry lately. It would be weird if the one guy who was actually the exception to the running backs, no matter, turned out to be Rashad Penny. But, oh, who knows? Maybe. He was a first-round pick, after all. There, there was some comments about the seven carries for seven yards in the Jacksonville game in there, but he wasn't healthy yet. He didn't get healthy until the end of the season. Not healthy yet. Adrian Peterson wasn't around to coach him. That was that, Look, there are moments that happen, it seems, that act, people, people create narratives around moments. I don't know what the fuck happened to Marshawn Lynch halfway through. What season was that? The 2009 11. season? 2011. 2011 where Marshawn Lynch halfway through the year just got good, right? Like there was clearly a difference statistically but between Marshawn Lynch before that moment and after that moment. You know, whether it was Tom Cable telling him just to trust your line and run through the hole, if that's actually the story, fair enough. If, if the story is Adrian Peterson helped Rashad Penny be a better running back and Rashad Penny is a better running back after that, let's give it to him, right? And the way that they've been talking about Adrian Peterson joining the coaching staff is like, again, maybe it's all bullshit. It's probably opponent, the, the level of opponents that they've been playing coincidentally. But if everybody believes it 
and they could placebo affect themselves into thinking that Rashad Penny is better if Adrian Peterson is there. Hire him as running backs coach and let's fucking go. Apparently, apparently Peterson not yet interested in the job. He still wants to be playing. All right, the last topic before we get to who's going to return next season, what do we expect from a DK Metcalf extension? Uh, you know, doing some quick research on this, I think the floor for Metcalf is probably $20 million a year annual value. That's what uh, Amari, Co- Amari Cooper got in 2020. And there are three wide receivers who have gone north of that figure so far. DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, and Keenan Allen. So I'm sure you would love to be up in that top three tier, but I think the Seahawks are probably thinking closer to that $20 million range. Yeah, I think it's hard because the Seahawks haven't really shown that much of a inclination to invest in the wide receiver position unless they absolutely have to and even when they do it's not like they have the best record like yes they they drafted Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf but aside from those two it's been kind of a struggle finding other reliable options so if I were the Seahawks I wouldn't be that excited to try to find someone to replace him or play the um, play out the fourth year and, and possibly tag game like that, that seems very dangerous. So I, I think I would, I would do everything I could to try to get a deal done. Do you think this could be part of the Russell Wilson conversation as well? Where if Russell Wilson is saying, I'm willing to come back provided X, right? Part of it is obviously receiving talent. We know that him and Tyler Lockett have an extraordinarily good relationship. I haven't looked at this statistically, but I would assume that Tyler Lockett had a better year than DK Metcalf. Yes, uh, it was not particularly close. Yeah. I mean, T- Tyler Lockett, fucking phenomenal. I, I, I honestly, I laid this out last week or maybe two weeks ago. I think Tyler Lockett is a huge part of why I believe that Russell Wilson won- will come back next year. And it's hard for me to imagine another receiver in the league that Russell Wilson has a better relationship with than Tyler Lockett. But DK Metcalf is part of what makes Tyler Lockett able to happen. So the two of them together in conjunction with each other. Yes, and speaking of Tyler Lockett, he's going to be turning 30 next season. So, and and he's very reliant on speed. So he's, he's a great player now, but if if you're not extending DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett is entering his thirties, then the the wide receiver group looks very barren after that. Um, When I was Googling Tyler Lockett's age, I saw Quandre Diggs dislocated his ankle and broke his fibula and will stay overnight for surgery. So uh, best wishes for him. Yeah, absolutely. But but if if Russell Wilson, if part of hit that conversation is like in, investing in the offense in, you know, they traded two first round picks for a defender. They traded the pick that turned into Sheldon Richardson, right? Like they've traded a lot for defensive players and gone kind of out of their way to find value with defensive players and invested a lot of high picks on defensive players. They find value. <laughs> the, I don't know if they found value, but they have invested resources. <laughs> So they've invested a lot of high value picks yes, on defensive yes. players. Yep. And, and like some of the, you know, when you're looking at the case for John Schneider, the players who you pull out are DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Cause there hasn't been that much else for the last decade of drafting. Uh, extending if extending DK Metcalf is part of the conversation for Russell Wilson, they have to do everything they can. The thing is the Seahawks hard lines, the way that they view things with extensions, et cetera, et cetera. All that goes out the door if Russell Wilson's unhappy. And I think part of this conversation is with Jody Allen is like, can everybody get on the same page here? Which is Pete and John 
I don't give a fuck about your morals. You have to do whatever you can if, if this is the way that they view things. And I think it probably is. It doesn't really matter if you're if you have a, a, a protocol not to extend a player or whatever. Well, he's going into the last year of his deal. This is when DK Metcalf would be extended. It's just now that from a timing standpoint, usually, and I don't think this is unique to the Seahawks, those deals don't get done until the eve of training camp or yes. as we saw last year with Jamal Adams in training camp. That's what, not when Russell Wilson will be making his decision. So that's an interesting complicating factor, not with their willingness to extend him. I think. You can have that conversation and be like, we're going to get it done though. Like this is a thing that we're going to do. And, and they are like, the reality is we can have this conversation over and over again. They're going to extend DK Metcalf. It's about the number more than it is anything else. DK Metcalf will not be traded. It would be very surprising if he wasn't going to be back. So he's not on our list. Unless Russell Wilson is traded. Like if Russell Wilson's traded, they probably still wouldn't because they, no, the not. expectation is they would probably bring back a veteran quarterback. Unless there is a blow it up rebuild, DK Metcalf will be here next year. And beyond. Even if there is a blow it up rebuild, like he, he's one of the cornerstone young pieces. Like if you had to start listing players that will be part of the Seahawks going forward, like he's, he's at the very, very top of the list, I think. Mm-hmm. Disley. And- Metcalf. <laughs> I don't know. Penny. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's, I think in some ways DK Metcalf is more valuable with a weaker quarterback than Russell Wilson because yeah. that kind of quarterback, like we saw this with Geno Smith against Jacksonville, is going to just rely on DK Metcalf's catch radius and ability to con- catch contested balls. Whereas the specific Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson relationship is part of what makes them so great. And Tyler Lockett did not perform particularly well during that stretch where Geno Smith was at quarterback. Yeah. Lockett's uh, Lockett's more about getting open deep with a sliver of space and Wilson hitting that. And it's, it's unclear whether how much that would translate to another quarterback. Yeah. There was one, there was one of Lockett's deep catches today that Tristan was trying to attribute to the threat of Rashad Penny establishing the run. That was like, it happened 15 seconds after the play started. I don't think that's about the run anymore. That's about Tyler Lockett. (laughs) No, that wasn't what I was. I wasn't attributing. I was just saying, I felt like they had receivers open downfield, which you saw this game. They had receivers open downfield, whether that's because of Rashad Penny or not, like, you look at Russell Wilson's numbers since Rashad Penny has broken out, and they're much better than they were the period beforehand. Is it health? We, d- we don't know exactly. We, it's hard in the, in the NFL to pinpoint why a thing is happening, but it certainly didn't hurt. The thing about Tyler Lockett, though, is I, it's interesting. He's reliant on speed, but I feel like Tyler Lockett is also very reliant on shiftiness mm-hmm. and space and understanding space, and that's why him and Russell Wilson work so well together. But I think he's relying on health is the big concern as he starts to age. That that everybody is the everybody bet. is relying on health. But yes, he, he, yeah. but he seems to struggle more when he's like you know not a hundred percent, but still able to play. We saw that you know in the second half of twenty twenty and the second half of twenty nineteen as well. Yeah, that, that's the bummer about the Seahawks missing the uh, playoffs this year. Is this is the first time since twenty eighteen that Lockett would look like himself at the end of the season, and it would have been interesting to see what they could have done in the playoffs with that, but unfortunately. Ah, God, fucking season. The other thing here, it did check out. It's true that the Seahawks had faced more cover one the last couple weeks as Rashad Penny started playing. So I don't know, you know, how often the Lions and Bears play cover one, you know, independently, if that was a matchup issue as opposed to them reacting to the run. But I don't think Pete Carroll is wrong that it's a good idea to be able to run the ball to force teams out of that shell. You just don't want to keep doing it when you're running ineffectively. And teams are in that shell. I'm curious. I'm curious. <laughs> do you, do you agree? Do you agree with this Ben on principle or? I I mean 
yeah, I agree that it's better to be able to run the ball well than not run the ball well. But I, where Pete Carroll lost me at the end of after last, so after last season, he talked a lot about the running game and he always said, the running game is important to us because we want to be able to force teams out of playing too high against us. And yeah, it's nice if you can run the ball and do that, but it's not something that you can really rely upon in the NFL. So you need to have some other plan than run the ball more. And that's just not something that I've ever really heard communicated from him. I mean, I do think the hiring of Shane Waldron was perhaps that to an extent it was going outside of his comfort zone. It was interesting. Today's game plan was a little bit of a different game plan. Like I, and maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention to it. Didn't feel like there was a ton of play action involved, uh, and not seeing. I don't. Was there a catch for D. Eskridge today? Don't don't believe he got on the box score. It'll be important for them long term to develop D. Eskridge into a number three receiver. You know, Swain had the touchdown, but figuring out exactly who that's going to be, continuing to work on the tight end position, it's going to be an important thing. Assuming that the the principles come back to develop that position and. Look, another year in Shane Waldron's offense, maybe there's another year of comfort for Pete Carroll with him as a coordinator, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, who knows? I'm just saying, I, I think that, I think we can feel pretty good about the end of the season and how it worked out. And if everybody comes back to a certain extent, I, how about this? I think the defense is more important to figure out than the offense. Oh, for sure. So, We'll see. As we always do, let's go through our list of, in this case, not just players, but figures in the organization to see. We usually do just a, a will they return or don't, won't they? I think this time let's do a percentage chance in classic Pelton cast style, wow. starting with Pete Carroll. This is so hard. I'll say uh, 40. Wow. I'm going to say 70%. I'm going to say 80 Wow. I, get to be, I get to be last year. I don't know if this uh, helps me or not. There's no, <laughs> we can say the same amount. We don't re- revisit this and have a winner, like price <laughs> right style. We haven't done per- percentage chances yet. We never have never like scored yeah. our The percentage thing about chances percentage per chances is you, you can't, can't be wrong. If, yeah. As long as you no. don't say zero or hundred. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, you know, the 538 prediction model, right? Where you, you're penalized yeah. for how far you are away yeah. from the actual outcome. That's, that's what we'll do. We'll do. So we have to add them all up. Yeah, I'm, I'm just making more work for myself is what I'm doing. Yeah. John Schneider. I think I, I have to say the same as Pete Carroll, so I'll say 40 again. It's the same percentage, yes. I'm saying lower. I'm saying 75. I think okay. there's a very small scenario there's a where they a blame John Schneider because his contract is much smaller than Pete Carroll's. That's really the ultimate reason. Uh, Russell Wilson. So I think it was on this podcast that Michael Sean Dugar said it was like a 20% chance that he would be on the Seahawks in 2022. So uh, let's see. So if I said 40% for Pete and John, I'm trying to think of all how all this fits together. I'll say, I'll, I'll say 70% for Russell Wilson. I think there's a 90% chance that Russell Wilson returns. Wow. I'm I actually I think there is a 99% chance that Russell Wow. I'm going to take wow. those percentage points. There's uh, just I, I we've been through this. There's no quarterback in NFL history who has been traded at at the place in their career that Russell Wilson is currently. It it would be it would be a massive outlier for him to be traded. Modern NFL history. I don't know if we know like the 1970s <laughs> well enough. 
unless unless you think that Matthew Stafford is at a similar place. Oh, so we're going to talk about Stafford later. <laughs> we're not getting to that quite yet. Okay. Uh, Bobby Wagner, who is, we've talked about on this podcast has a non-guaranteed 16.35 million base salary for 2022. I don't think there's any way they can keep him on this base salary. Right. So it would, it would have to be either a renegotiation or just cut him. I guess the latter is probably more likely. So I'll say, I'll say one and three. I think there's a 10% chance of him returning. I'm going to go highest on this one, 45%. I think the chance of him finding not, you know, kind of a market similar to KJ Wright last year might be higher than we think. Yeah, but what happened with the Seahawks and KJ Wright? Yeah, but the Seahawks had the replacement lined up for KJ Wright. It wasn't just wow. a dollar issue. The Cody Barton disrespect has been I, recognized. I think it was the it was the play where Cody Barton just completely raw, chose the wrong lane, and they picked up a third and eighteen on a James Conner oh, draft. God. Like when Cody that Barton was... struggles, it looks real bad. It's but we'll see. It, it might not be Cody Barton as the replacement, but I do think the defense is playing fairly well. I mean, you look at the outcome today, right? Two, it, you factor in that two of those scores were basically defensive scores. The defense played. I think this game says possibly even more about Kyler Murray than it does about the Seahawks defense, but or more about DeAndre Hopkins or or Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of Cardinals for it to say something about. Well, but, Hopkins, his absence, we didn't really talk about that as a factor in their offense struggling in the second half of the season. Anyway, there's a reason that DeAndre Hopkins is the highest paid receiver in NFL history. And that the Texans have gone like what seven, six, and a large number of losses since they traded him. Hey, their offense looked great today. No, no Davis Mills of Stanford slander on the podcast. There we go. <laughs> you know what? I'll get behind Stanford for Davis Mills. <laughs> Davis Mills gave a sure Doug Baldwin and Davis Mills. Let's fucking go. I could I confirmed a show on on tour coming up in February at Stanford University University nice. yeah Stanford yeah. University so the kids of Stanford did can you also re- enjoy some indie rock did you count Ben in what Stanford gave us with the show Davis Mills Doug Baldwin Richard Sherman and Ben okay that's it uh, DJ Reed in unrestricted free agent after emerging is the Seahawks number one corner this year replacing the departed Shaquille Griffin cornerbacks are hard it feels like. Seattle never retains their quarterbacks and always thinks that they can find the next greatest thing. So I'll, I'll say one in four. I'm going to say, wow, we are way, way different ends of these. I love that we're doing percentage <laughs> chance. Cause if it was just a yes or a no, that I'm going to say 65%. And I have a question for you after this, Ben. I'm going to say 75. I mean, I know that they have Trey Brown coming back and Sidney Jones played reasonably well, but this was also this also showed the reason that you have to have multiple corners that you can trust because of the fact that lots of them are going to play and sometimes Mike Jackson is just going to show up at the end of a game off the practice squad. What what do you think the market is going to look like for DJ Reed after this year? Is he going to get paid like a number one corner? I think number one corner is probably a lot, but the Seahawks were originally able to trade for him because he struggled with injuries and he's been able to stay on the field. Wait, was it a trade or did they just sign him from the 49ers? I, I can't remember. He was on the 49ers and they, yeah, I think they, they cut him. So yeah, strike, strike the trade part. But um, he, he doesn't really fit the mold of a number one cornerback. So I don't know if he would get a lot, a lot, but the Seahawks haven't exactly shown um, a lot of interest in 
bidding a lot of money to retain their own defensive back. So we'll see. I still think his size, he doesn't project is like the, he's not Shaquille Griffin. Who's got the yeah. measurables and was, you know, drafted reasonably the hype high. Yes. That yeah. sort of thing. Saw him today with the Jags. They cut him. I was like, Oh yeah. Shaquille Griffin. Yeah. Wonder how he's feeling about that decision. Uh, whatever. He would have won three more games in Seattle this year or something. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you do look at the, the secondary though, and Trey Brown, who in his short period of time playing was phenomenal while he was playing. And you have to assume that Trey Brown, hopefully he's going to come back and slot as a starting cornerback. You do look at it and see that there is hypothetically a little bit of depth, but I do think they need to bring back DJ Reed just with some continuity in the next year. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be a different scenario if you go into training camp with Trey Brown, Sidney Jones, and DJ Reed, as opposed to trading for Sidney Jones and picking up Bless Austin in the final week of training camp. Like that was a pretty big overhaul. To and try they to still make need that time. They still probably need to draft a corner. Like the, I, I wouldn't say that they're set there. Right. And obviously with Ugo Amadi as well. Yeah. Yeah. Penciling him into the nickel. Dwayne Brown, who has a void year in 2022. So we'll, surely become a free agent they have they really have nothing else at well i guess they have um the Stone player they just drafted yeah at, that, he was that's like a possibility a, like people got club. excited yeah. about him because they drafted two players but he was like what a six round pick it's not a yes. huge investment in the position no, so you don't expect draft someone in the six round and be like okay well, now we got our left tackle of the future <laughs> yeah and he he was a really strange draft prospect because like some people loved him and had him as like a, a top like day one day two prospect and then all these other people had undraftable obviously the the league as a whole agreed more with the latter camp because he fell up to the sixth round um for Dwayne Brown <laughs> there's a long pause which is terrible podcast I'll say 60 percent and that already feels too high <laughs> 65 really have no feel for this I I just finding a left tackle is so difficult and I think the Seahawks will basically do whatever they can to bring him back. I'm in the same ballpark as you, 60 to 65%. I don't think there's going to be a huge market for him. You have to choose a him. percent. We're six coming 60. back. <laughs> 60%. I don't, I don't think there's going to be a huge market for him given his age. I think he'll be another prior, important priority for Russell Wilson in those conversations as we've yep. talked about. And therefore, I think it probably makes sense on another short-term deal. And then maybe this year you actually have the draft resources to draft a long-term replacement. Uh, we should talk about the rest of the offensive line at this point. So Brandon Shell, as Ben mentioned, is also a free agent, along with Ethan Posick and Kyle Fuller, who alternated at center over the course of the season. And there's one place you'd probably look to be like proactively looking to upgrade on the offensive line at this point. Like the guards feel pretty set. Uh, tackle, maybe, you know, you've found in Jake Curhan someone who can be a starter there long term for Brandon Shell, but center is a big question mark for the Seahawks. So I don't know if we're going to count these in, but uh, uh, just let's, let's talk about the, the future of that position. Uh, center or right tackle? The offensive line. In okay. Oh, offensive line. Yeah. So yeah, it's so the offensive line has probably not been great in pass protection, which is Russell Wilson's primary concern. And they, so they have two free agent, uh, tackles and the centers are when i looked this up before the game they're of the 40 qualifying centers in pass block grade and pff uh Postic and fuller were both bottom five so it, it seems like 
the position is definitely uh, open for an upgrade, uh, which I kind of thought after last season, but the Seahawks didn't agree. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I, I could totally see them re-signing Ethan Polsic and him having not that much of a market and the Seahawks being, yeah, like, sure. Yeah. Why not? Uh, so I'll say for shell, like 20%, I wouldn't be surprised if um, someone else outbid the Seahawks for him. And then for this, for Posick, I'll say like 75% and fuller 25%. Was there a, a Raiders lineman, not Gabe Jackson who changed teams this off season, maybe to the Raiders? Who was uh, that? The Cardinals traded for Rodney Hudson, the center. And that seems like it ended up okay. From everything I've heard, yeah. Rave <laughs> reviews, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the extent that we know. I'll, I'll be curious to see if, if maybe there's an opportunity this offseason. I mean, going out and getting Gabe Jackson, what, what they did last offseason, to go out and find a more veteran lineman uh, who a team that's maybe blowing it up a little bit or something like that, that the Seahawks can bring in, possibly invest a little bit of the money that they uh, hypothetically will have from Bobby Wagner and moving that from the defense to the offense. You know, I mentioned this to Kevin, we haven't talked about linebackers, but m- my feeling is that linebackers are the running backs of the defense. And if there's one place that you probably don't want to be investing too much money, obviously stopping the pass is the most important thing that you can do. Obviously in the NFC West, everybody cares about stopping the run and having kind of a whole host of linemen. Linebacker is the one position where if you're going to take some money from and you want to invest it somewhere else, moving that money from linebacker to offensive line could be a pretty nice upgrade for the Seahawks. Yeah. And and would possibly appease some of Russell Wilson's grievances with the Seahawks where um, they, they just, they haven't been super willing to invest in offensive line. Dwayne Brown is like, all right, next up, Rashad Penny. Wait, did Kevin answer the, <laughs> Oh, well, I, I said <laughs> that was unofficial. I, I'm not going to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Shell and the centers are, are unofficial. They're not, they're not really at the level of some of these other free agents. I don't think. Okay. okay. Uh, Rashad Penny. Oh man. Uh, this one I have no feel for, but it's the Seahawks. So I'll say like 60%. I think there's an 80% chance that Rashad Penny is back. I'm going to go 85. I'm going to go over the top. Wow. I mean, I look, this team has loved, you know, we all wanted Rashad Penny to be waived at the end of training camp. This team has continued to believe him the whole time. I don't think they're going to let him go. Actually, you know what? I'm revising that upward. 95%. Wow. They're not going to let him go once he finally starts playing well. That would be the least Seahawks thing possible. Uh, then in a related question, Chris Carson, who has a 4.5 million non non guaranteed base salary for 2022, along with being due a 425,000 roster bonus. All of these figures, by the way, from overthecap.com. I'll say 80, but it, a lot of it depends on his health that we obviously have no idea about. Wow, I'm gonna go 15 percent. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say it's like a hundred percent collectively between Carson and Penny. I feel like the Seahawks. So you're no, going five percent. You have to give I'm a number. I'm going five percent. Yes. Okay. Wow. Wow. I think the Seahawks will probably look at it as, look, we were able to get through this stretch. We'll probably bring in some veteran Carlos Hyde type, is oh, insurance in case Penny goes down. But DJ Dallas and Travis Homer have shown that they absolutely merit spots on the roster. And at some point, you can only keep so many running backs. I mean, if those are your running backs heading into next year, Penny, Dallas, and Homer, you're feeling pretty good about it, especially what Travis Homer can do as kind of a complete running back, third down back style, like special teams contributor. Yeah, I freaking love Travis Homer. What do you feel 
good about that if Penny got hurt again and it was down to Homer and Dallas? I mean, yeah, that's where I think there's going to be someone else in the mix. It's, yeah. it's one of those situations where, like, maybe they drafted seventh round pick running back. Like, that's where Chris Carson came from, you know? Can, yeah, can that's they fair. find a deep running back who can be a contributor? Probably. Like, I personally would rather them do that than go get another fucking Carlos Hyde, Alex Collins, somebody like that, you know, just like a low round draft pick, somebody to slot in there. I mean, obviously, I would prefer that, but I'm predicting what the Seahawks are. But you've going. seen Carlos Hyde <laughs> yeah. and Alex Collins and Eddie Lacy. <laughs> yes. And oh. Marshawn Lynch. Well, Marshawn Lynch was in a different category, I think. All right. Next up, Al Woods, who had a pretty amazingly monstrous season on the defensive line. He seems like the kind of guy that the Seahawks would love. Um, I guess this is hard because we're assuming some things about the Seahawks uh, general manager and head coach that may or may not be the case. Uh, so I guess this is also built into the projections, but I'll say like 65%. I'm going to go 50-50 for Big Al. Well, Ben really exposed a flaw in my probabilities that I all of these are sort of like, if the, if then every, every projection. Well, I could, I could have factored that in and made my Rashad Penny projection like 80%, like it's 95% <laughs> Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Back I still think there's a good that. chance that even if it is another, yes. if it's another staff that they want Rashad Penny. Uh, for Woods, I'm going to say like 75%. All right, Gerald Everett, who was playing on a one-year deal for $6 million, had some good moments, also some, some lowlights, certainly, over the season. He, he seems like someone that is just going to – the Seahawks are going to get outbid for him, so I'm going to say like 10%. I'm going to go 35%. Yeah, I feel like they, they might – they've churned the tight end position a lot in recent years, and I feel like this might continue the churn, but I'm going to say like 40%. All right, lastly, and this is a very different answer than it would have been two months ago or a month ago, Carlos Dunlap, who has a base salary of $4.1 million plus $1 million bonuses in his contract for next season, who just dominated the final five weeks of the season, basically, to end up the Seahawks sack leader. I'll say 70%. Wow. I mean, I would love to have Carlos Dunlap back. Feels like there's definitely something left in the tank for Carlos. Uh, and it's, it's so frustrating that he didn't play through the stretch of the year. That was probably the most important stretch for the Seahawks. You know, they ended up missing the playoffs. I obviously not because of Carlos Dunlap, but they ended up missing the playoffs because of the stretch that he wasn't playing in. I I don't know. I'll say 60%. I'm surprised you're so low. I'm like 90%. Like it's a bargain deal given the production that he got. Assuming that he's coming back on the same deal. He's no, I'm telling you, he's under contract for next oh, year for oh, four okay. million. All right, I'm gonna revise that up then. I'll revise it up to 80. Plus if one they, million dollars. If they bonuses. can just keep keep him at, at a relatively similar deal, they'll always invest in defensive linemen. I I would love to know the truth about whether they were really managing him to save him, keep him fresh for the last part of the season. Now, if they were doing that, <laughs> he was really fresh at the end of the season. As you pointed out, it's kind of like we were saving this guy who was in foul trouble for the end of the game. Uh-oh, we lost by 20. It doesn't matter that he didn't foul out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, at that price point, I think he's got to be back for next year. Well, that, that concludes the players, unless there's anyone else you want to talk about in terms of percentage chances. 
Well, one second on the Seahawks. <clears throat> you know, I, I think we talked about this before, but just I think we learned a lot about the Seattle Seahawks during the season. And it was the first time that we basically, since Russell Wilson was drafted, not basically, literally since Russell Wilson was drafted, had to see the team play without Russell Wilson. And I think we learned a lot about the organization during that time period as Russell Wilson was gone and injured and in the time period when Russell Wilson struggled after. And I think what we really learned through the season, it was, again, it's always fun to be able to pay attention to the Seahawks to end this year competitive. It, it didn't go the way that we wanted to. And ultimately I think what's most frustrating is you look at these playoffs and you say the Seahawks are a good enough team to be participating in the playoffs. I don't know if you would say that they're necessarily Super Bowl contenders, but you look at the teams one through seven and say to yourself, they could play a game with basically any of these teams. Uh, and especially I mean, the three NFC West teams that are yeah. in, in the mix. They went on and the road and beat a team that would have won the division otherwise. It really, it boils down to a small handful of calls. And we talked about why that's more of an indictment on Pete Carroll than anything else. But we also learned that this organization needs Russell Wilson more than anything else. Nobody else matters. They traded two first round draft picks for Jamal Adams. Who I, fucking cares? I thought Rashad Penny mattered. <laughs> Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny matters because of Russell Wilson, though. Rashad Penny doesn't exist in a vacuum. And Russell Wilson does. Russell Wilson is the most important player in Seahawks franchise history. And to have to play without him for any period of time was not what we wanted to see as Seahawks fans. And we hope that we go another decade and never see that again. What I also just want to say. As we've come back, I've said this over and over and over again, but, you know, having the process of being able to go to these games, feeling relatively safe going to these games, like, you know, the process of cheering for a football team is more about more than just whether the team wins or loses and being able to go. It's been a phenomenal experience to go and feel like it's been a fairly safe process and have that. Uh, process run by the team, the Seattle Seahawks, having to execute orders coming down from the governor. I think they've done as good of a job as they possibly can uh, and making sure that as fans, we're going to it, staying safe, feeling supported and win or lose. The reason we pay attention to football is about, it's about the history and it's about the community. It's about more than just winning or losing one game, right? It's more, more than just, did you beat the Saints or not? And I think that process this year has been uh, awesome to get back to and continuing to build that community that you have. There's so many communities that take place just at football games, people you have who are long-term friends who you only see at sporting events. It's such a unique experience. And to be able to walk into that stadium for the first time, see the dudes who sit next to us and be like, hey, it's been a long time. A lot has happened since we've been here. I don't even know what the fuck their names are, right? But it's like we have this history at the same time when Travis Homer is running for a touchdown on a fake punt, we're all hugging each other and high-fiving. And it's a, it's a pretty cool experience that's shared. So it's been an awesome experience getting back to that. Again, the, the outcome, especially in Seattle of the games, hasn't gone exactly as we've wanted it to. But being able to have that back, I think, has been huge after the year that we had in 2020. Yeah, I got to go to the first two Seahawks games and it was, it was a lot of fun. Got to see Kevin in Indianapolis and then uh, both of you guys uh, in Seattle before uh, a Titans game that didn't turn out well, but it was actually, a, objectively speaking, a, a great game and it was fun to attend. And um, 
yeah, the attitudes about the pandemic were very different in Indiana and in Seattle. And I, I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful for uh, how the Seahawks and the state of Washington have uh, approached this. You know, I was thinking way back when that we thought that that win over the Colts was kind of meaningless because they weren't going to be a playoff team. And it turns out we were right the whole time. Had it all the way. I remember thinking of the Titans being like, this team fucking sucks. The number one seed in the AFC being like, this this, this this still might not be that good. Yeah, they got the Titans got killed in week one by the Cardinals. And we're like, oh, yeah, they're probably bad. And then. Week two happened, and yeah, they they won a lot of games after that. Who had a better well, point differential this season, the Seahawks or the Titans? Like, I'm only half joking when I ask this question. I, that, I, I think the Titans, because they destroyed the uh, Dolphins last week. Yeah, they did end up plus 65 for the yeah. season, Seahawks plus 29. Yeah, the, half of that was last week from the Titans. <laughs> With that in mind, it's time to review our over-unders that we did back in September before the start of the season in our Seahawks preview. We start with said Arizona Cardinals, who had a line of eight wins. We all went over that line. Tristan made this the first of his three locks. And wow. we all correct, obviously, on that one. I've, I've been dreading going through this since, like, week two of the season. So <laughs> <laughs> This was the, the only one that I felt really strongly about, was that people were underestimating the Cardinals. And it's funny, because in, in the end, it's like the Cardinals, what was the, the line? Eight and a half? Eight. Eight? Okay, that, that line was still too low. But like yeah. the Car- the Cardinals, are they that much better than an eight-win team? But it's about, I mean, I was thinking of this. There's so many, the NFL season is so long that it's not easy to get to that many wins. That's why these are hard to do. Yes. And Ben said on Twitter earlier when I made a joking reply to his week 18 tweet that uh, you win this one may not be the last one I win today. Oh, at least, uh, at least relative to uh, that, actually. Let's, let's be clear. All right, Atlanta, a line of seven and a half. We all love the Falcons, so obviously oh, no. we're all <laughs> over on this one. And uh, they could have gotten there with a win today, despite being like near the bottom in DVOA all season. They still won seven games, but they did, in fact, go under. Baltimore, ten and a half. We all had an over on this one. They were probably trending towards it in the first half of the season, but the injuries they suffered, particularly losing Lamar Jackson, as long as they did, sent them out of the playoffs and to an under. Uh, Buffalo coming off their AFC East championship last year had a line of 11 wins. We all thought they were overrated. We all had an under on this one. As it turns out, the result was push. One of a a couple of pushes that uh, were insured with today's results. Yeah, they they probably should have gone over, but did very poorly in one score games. I still feel good about the process for all of these. Every <laughs> single one, right? It's just like even the ones that missed, you're like, how did the Falcons not get to eight wins? I think they were exceedingly terrible. The Falcons point differential is negative 146. <laughs> <laughs> Despite being awful, they still should have won eight games. I still believe in Matty Ice though. <laughs> Carolina had a line of seven and a half wins. We all were under that one, did not believe in Sam Darnold, and we were correct not to, even though the, the two weeks where Sam Darnold started well, that's an under. Uh, Chicago, a line of seven and a half wins. Ben and I both took the over on this one. Wow. I think I, said, I think I said I didn't think that Justin Fields, was this based on Justin Fields starting quickly? I can't remember. I, it was definitely some assumption about when Justin Fields is going to start Tristan the only one who took the under here and he was correct obviously they had just made the playoffs at like eight and eight or something so with with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback yes uh Cincinnati their line was six and a half wins coming off the Joe Burrow injury last year 
Tristan and I both went over. Ben went under on this one. I remember being very confident in this under. That was, <laughs> that was probably my worst one of the of the year. <laughs> and the Bengals, of course, won the AFC North and went over. Cleveland, coming off their playoff appearance, had a line of 10 and a half wins. Ooh. Tristan and I went under. I made this one of the first of my three locks. Ben went over on this one. Oh, no. <laughs> Why? It's almost <laughs> the Brad's investment in analytics. And sadly, unfortunately, that did not include investing in someone else to play quarterback besides a well, healthy Baker Mayfield, at least. And they went under. Dallas, a line of nine wins coming into the season. Please say we went over. Yeah, I, I made this a lock over it, right? Oh, that made this a lock. We both went under. Because you got to remember back in the fall or the summer, I guess this was. We were we didn't know if Dak was going to be back. Yeah, Dak was hurt the entire oh. stretch of hard knocks. It's like, okay, well, hopefully he's going to play, but maybe not. So we both went under, and uh, obviously we're wrong about that one. We were not wrong about the Denver Broncos, although we, it was a little dicey for a stretch there. As we all went under on those on the Broncos. Tristan and Ben both had that under as a lock. Yeah. And they did, in fact, finish 8-9. and nine. The dr- wait, 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 they're they're seven and ten. Seven and ten, yeah. <laughs> uh, Detroit Lions, a line of five wins. Ben and I took the over on this one. Oh no! We did Campbell's <laughs> magic and Jared Goff, I suppose. Tristan, despite not his uh, doubts on Matthew Stafford, uh, took the under and was correct on that one. As they you got to what? three wins, they're they're a six win caliber team. Come oh, on, they're a six win team in our heart. They had a better point differential than the Falcons. <laughs> <laughs> the Green Bay Packers had a line of 10 and a half wins. We all took the over on this one. I made it my second lock. And obviously they went over as they earned the number one seed in the NFC. Houston Texans had a line of four wins. Tristan and I went over on this one. Ben went under and it was a push. They almost got there today. <laughs> to Very <the> close. <laughs> yeah. Indianapolis Colts were off the board, as you'll recall at this point, because of Carson Wentz's injury and the question marks about that. So they had no line. We made no pick there. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. That feels like an eternity ago. So long ago. And also the idea that Carson Wentz was that important. They just took them off the board. I mean, Carson Wentz. Was, is not a good quarterback, but we still haven't seen Sam Ellinger. And also they were, they were at that point considering starting Jacob Eason, who did not end the season on their roster, ended it with the Seahawks. We did not do a percentage chances of Jacob Eason on the 2022 Seahawks. Uh, Jacksonville had a line of six wins. Ben and I both took the over. Oh, we both ow. believed in Urban Meyer. Ouch. And we were not rewarded with, on that one. Tristan hitting the under, <sighs> despite Daryl Bevel's best efforts. Yeah, I believed in offensive coordinator Darabowl and quarterback coach Brian Schottenheimer. <laughs> Shaquille, Jaguars, Shaquille Griffin. Yeah, <laughs> Jaguars. I mean, so many awful performances, and then just out of nowhere, having random dominating victories against playoff teams and potential playoff teams. The most baffling season. Like any time that you go into an, an NFL weekend, we should remind ourselves of this in the 2022 NFL football season. Anytime you go into a weekend feeling very confident about the outcome, especially given the stakes that that are there, right? The game that they dominated the Bills and then this weekend with a chance for the Colts to make the playoffs, for the Jags to just crush the Colts, unheard of. 
the Texans too. They they beat the number one seed Titans. They beat the Chargers. And if the Chargers lose tonight, then that's going to be the reason that they missed the playoffs. I mean, don't forget the reason that the Seahawks, part of the reason the Seahawks won the NFC West last year was that the Rams lost at home to the Jets, costing the Jets the number one pick. And that, that was the, first, the Jets' first win in the season in like December or something. <laughs> you, you look at it and you're like, wow, or they cost maybe the a second pick. Yeah. And you don't feel like after having a year of these rookie quarterbacks, which I'm curious your thoughts on them after, Ben. I have some general NFL questions that I want to ask. You look at it and you're like, okay, I don't know. Between Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. so Well, the answer is Davis Mills, right? <laughs> yeah. No bias here. <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs had a line of 12 and a half wins. Ben and I went over, Tristan went under and got this one as they finished 12 and five. Las Vegas Raiders, a line of seven wins. We all took the over. We were all correct on that one. Didn't I make this a lock or am I misremembering this? You did not make that a lock. I'm going to have to re-listen to this to double check. (laughs) I mean, I've got one more lock for you. Okay. Um. The LA Chargers, (laughs) still TBD. They had a line of nine wins. Uh, Ben and I both went under that one. Tristan went over. They can hit over if they come from behind to beat the Raiders. Let's go Chargers. As we record this, otherwise it will be a push. Come on, make the playoffs. 10, 10 to 7. They're going to win this game. It's time for the Stafford conversation. <laughs> we should, we should, I want to do gen, general NFL. Okay, yeah. you want to do that at the end. Los Angeles Rams had a line of 10 and a half wins. I went over, obviously. Tristan, despite his skepticism, went over. Ben was oh, no. an under because of the defensive <laughs> regression. They did, in fact, go over as they eked out winning the NFC West. Miami Dolphins line of nine and a half wins. We were all under on this one. This was Ben's third and final lock. And they did, in fact, go under despite today's Close, Closer than I think we would have anticipated, though. Yeah, they really made a, uh, a run for it, driven by playing like seven backup quarterbacks in a row. <laughs> I mean, another team who is over 500 schedule-wise and, and with a negative point differential. Minnesota Vikings had a line of nine wins. Ben and I went under. Tristan was over on this one. Oh, Minnesota played like this for much of the season, but had had its own difficulty in close games and ended up under. New England Patriots had a line of nine and a half wins. We were all in agreement on the under here because we did not know that Mac Jones was going to lead them back to the playoffs and to the over. New Orleans Saints had a line of nine wins with Jameis Winston taking over for Drew Brees at quarterback. Tristan and I went over, Ben went under. I made this my third and final lock. It ended up a push. I still feel good about the process here had Jameis stayed healthy, given how well he was playing. I mean, they won nine games with, who who was the guy who they started? Who was the the draft pick of theirs that they started? Trevor Simeon? No, no, no. The draft pick that they started. Oh, God. What was that guy's name? Oh, Book? Ian Book? Oh, Ian Book, (laughs) yeah. What What a time. New York Giants had a line of seven wins. We all picked the under. None of us made it a lock, though, which we probably should have in hindsight. New York Jets had a line of six wins. Tristan and Ben went over on this one. They were on the Zach Wilson Express. I went under. I still like the Jets. (laughs) Do you? I will tell you right now, Mike LaFleur and that Jets team is going to be good in a couple of years. Well, when Mike White was at the controls, for sure. Philadelphia, a line of six and a half wins. Tristan and I went over. Ben was an under on this one. Eagles making the playoffs, crushing that line. Yeah, that was bad. 
Pittsburgh Steelers, a line of eight and a half wins. Ben and Tristan both went under on this one. Ooh. I was an over. They, they, it did in fact go over and will likely make the playoffs barring a tie in this game currently Man, going on. That was so the, they almost pushed because if they had lost to the Ravens, they would have exactly pushed eight and a half. <laughs> they would know they would have lost that overtime determined the outcome of this oh, because you oh, don't get half the tie is in half. Okay. That's yeah. rough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco, a line of 10 and a half wins. We were all under on this one and all correct Ooh. on that. Seattle had a line of 10 wins. We were all over on that one. Obviously, <laughs> that one's an under. Taking the most the significant quarterback injury of the year. I mean, we talked about Jameis, but the quarter, these are all dependent on quarterback injuries for the most part, right? The round number ones are also very difficult. Like yeah. We would have lost either way. Yes. <laughs> for the record, the round number ones are difficult, but if also was, we would have lost. Yeah. The 49ers probably would have gone over if Jimmy G hadn't gotten hurt. Tampa Bay, a line of 12 wins. We all went under. Tristan made this his third and final lock. And in fact, they went over as wow. they won the NFC South. Man. But that's pretty impressive. They won, they won 13 games and still didn't get the number one seed. <laughs> Tennessee Titans, a line of nine and a half wins. I went under in that uh, preseason skepticism. Ben and Tristan both went over and got this one as they earned the number one seed in the AFC. And finally, Washington football team, a line of eight and a half wins. Ben, despite his, his uh, mocking of the love for the, the Washington football team's ability in the trenches, was it over here? This was Tristan. I was an under and got this one. You, it's Fitzmagic injury. I, I took the, the under on the Eagles and Giants. So I was like, oh, better take the over on the, the Washington football <laughs> team. And obviously that turned out poorly for me. And one of those teams, I guess, was going to go over, but it was not the one you thought. Yep. So again, with that. Brian Fitzpatrick got hurt in week one in a game, right? He did, yes. Yep. Okay. But, and was one of the best quarterbacks in the league in 2020. <laughs> again, with that Las Vegas results still, or Los Angeles results still pending, uh, I got 16. Tristan got 17. And Ben got 11. So oh. a tough, a rebuilding year for Ben, much yeah. like the Seahawks. I did not defend my crown from last time. 11 is pretty bad. <laughs> I think this might be the first time that, it's definitely the first time Tristan has won. I think it might Thank be you. the first time either of us has ever beaten <laughs> our guest picker, which was third Pelton brother Danny Kelly from the ringer the first year and then Ben since then. But on, Lu- on Lux, three or three? Yes, I think. I missed. A, I had the push on a lock. Tristan missed a lock, but uh, collectively we were uh, seven, seven out of eight on our locks that actually went. So that's pretty good. You could in fact take those to the bank. We'll pay attention to those. <laughs> that's all. We, that's all. All you need to care about. Okay, the Rams. Ben, the Rams season. Matthew Stafford could not have ended the regular season on a more sweet note than a pick being thrown by Matthew Stafford. I I feel like we went into this year with a lot of skepticism about Matthew Stafford. I don't think either of us felt like he was necessarily a worse quarterback than Jared Goff, but the hype was like the whole playbook is open. The whole field is open now to Sean McVay. And it felt like Matthew Stafford this year was Matthew Stafford and Rams quarterback play was Rams quarterback play. Yeah. So I agree with that, and I don't think Stafford has been materially different than last season. So the question is, 
why was Kevin so correct about the Rams? And I think, so uh, it, in Kevin's favor, I, I think Sean McVay is very good and, and he has shown the ability to get everything out of his players. I think the thing that we didn't know ahead of time that I think we couldn't know ahead of time was that the Rams offensive line would be incredible this season. And they have been legitimately dominant, even with a 40 year old left tackle. So at least for me, if I had known ahead of time that they, they would be so good uh, pass protection wise, I think maybe I would have thought different about this season. And the other thing was we talked about, the Rams offense being so good in earlier years because they had such great weapons like Brandon Cooks um, taking the top off the defense as, as a deep threat. And Kevin, I remember Kevin saying this year, they're going to have Deshaun Jackson and Tutu Atwell. And that didn't happen, <laughs> but they were still great. So well, all of us were right. Had, and all of us were wrong. <laughs> yes. They had Odell Beckham Jr. The last part of the year. They had Cooper <laughs> cup and they had Cooper cup though. I, we actually, Deshaun Jackson took the top off of one defense. Yeah, the one that had Jamal Adams playing in the secondary. <laughs> I think that was – there were two worst moments of the year being at the stadium. And the first one was the Sidney Jones non-interception, where it was just like, this is clearly a touchdown. Or this is clearly an interception. I think it's a touchdown. We'll see. They're reviewing it. And then having it be an incomplete pass. That was the worst moment of the entire year. It wasn't Geno Smith coming out at quarterback? I, I just didn't really know what was going on. You know, I thought that I thought maybe Russ would miss like a series – that, it, that didn't really sink in until after I didn't know about mallet finger until after the game, mm-hmm. but like that catch it, when Deshaun Jackson caught that ball, it was just like the game's over. We all fucking know the game's over. You could feel it. You could feel it in the stadium because we had it covered and the defense was playing really well. There was the Q digs interception in the end zone. Matthew Stafford does not incite more fear in a defense than Jared Goff did though. In my opinion, I, I feel like we have to at least take the W on, Stafford, as far as the value goes for two first round picks, like did not radically and dramatically change that Rams offense at all. I mean, it's Stafford. The two first round picks were Stafford plus taking Jared Goff's enormous salary. And one of the things that did happen this year is we found out what Jared Goff would look like outside of the Rams context. And that was worse than Tim Boyle was the answer to that question. I, I sent Ben. So when I, I mentioned the uh, quarterback projections earlier this year, I tested that retro did, you know, retrodictions on this season out of sample to test it. And the quarterback who had most outperformed, which you would have expected was Stafford. And I think the quarterback who had most underperformed what you would have expected based on his past three seasons was Goff. And I was like, that, that feels like a, a pretty compelling. Now maybe it's but offensive you can't, line. You cannot compare those two things. The offensive Cooper cup is the best receiver in the NFL. There's no question about that. I mean, the point wasn't necessarily McVay per se. The point was, is Goff's performance these past few years, being inflated because of the context around him. And I think the answer to that was unequivocally yes. And that Stafford is in a vacuum, a better quarterback than Jared Goff. So yes, but also I think the context around Goff wasn't that good the past couple of seasons. Yeah. So it wasn't as good. Yes. Yeah. So the, the, the context around the Rams got a lot better. And that's, I think that's what nobody really could have seen coming like Cooper cup becoming maybe Cooper cup was always amazing and just held back by Goff. I think that's definitely possible, but the offensive line thing is just like them becoming the best offensive line out of nowhere is, I don't know how anyone could have seen that coming. How many more games did they win this year versus last year? They were 12 and five this year. Last year they were, I'm going to assume they were 10, 10 and six. <laughs> that sounds right. 
Oh, yeah, they were 10 and 6. Like, they weren't radically better this year with Matthew Stafford than they were last year with Jared Goff. And like, not radically look, better, no. Their, their, their defense got, their defense was incredible, legitimately incredible last year. So the offense, the, offense, the defense got worse and the offense got a lot better. So I, I think that would be the defense of the Stafford tree. Is that Stafford is having to make up for defensive aggression. Right. And Whereas, he, he gives them a high ceiling that if he plays amazing for four games, which I think is extremely unlikely, could take them to the Super Bowl, where I don't think you could say that about Goff. He did it. I mean, Stafford's <laughs> never done it before, and Jared Goff has done that before. Their road to the Super Bowl is so much harder. Let me just tell you, the reason I was cheering for the 49ers in this game is I didn't want the Rams to have a fucking cakewalk to the second round by playing the Saints in the first game. It was like, it's actually kind of funny because you looked at the AFC and the NFC and it was like, oh, the AFC, every single team who makes the playoffs is going to be really, really good. Now the NFC, every single team who's making the playoffs is really good. And the AFC has the Steelers. Like how quickly that flipped. And which is maybe the Raiders too. The, the, the Saints not making the playoffs and the 49ers making the playoffs all disrespect to the 49ers, but they are a significantly better team and more difficult first round out than the Saints would have been. So the Rams having to go from playing the Saints in the first round to playing the Cardinals in the first round, they're going to lose in the first round. To the Cardinals? Did you well, watch the Cardinals today? They're route, okay, <laughs> in, in the second round, if they have to go to Green Bay, like legitimately, what do you think the chances are that the 40... That the I don't think Rams the chances are that high that they have to go to Green Bay because that's the, the other thing about the seven-team format is it becomes that much more likely there's some sort of upset below you is the number four seed. What else did you want to ask about the league? We were definitely like, it's a, it's an unsatisfying Rams result where everyone can feel like they were right about something and wrong about something. I will take the W on the Rams because they also <laughs> gave up two first round picks. I get it with Goff's, like they still were paying Goff's uh, uh, signing bonus, right? Like the salary is one thing. The Lions can cut Jared Goff whenever they'd like. They can cut him next year. It was this year's guaranteed salary that they had to uh, take in the trade. Sure. I, I just think for the Lions, it's kind of like whatever. They're, they're oh, it was, moving on. It was clearly a great trade for the Lions. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea, the, the thing that lost was the dialogue around the Rams was the idea that Sean McVay is such a good coach that he can turn Matthew Stafford from the 10th best quarterback in the NFL to the best quarterback in the NFL. And we had like six weeks where it looked like it looked like that was going to be the case. And then it was just like Matthew Stafford over time became Matthew Stafford over time. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Matthew Stafford is Matthew Stafford. Sean McVay doesn't have magical powers about getting Stafford to play better than he ever has been. But at the same time, he can take Matthew Stafford and make a pretty good offense out of what Matthew Stafford has always been, which is how he's continued to play this year. It'll be a beautiful second round out for the Rams. I'm just I'm so, so happy that they traded. Look, the Seahawks traded two first round picks to lose to the Rams in the first round. They traded two first round picks to lose to the Packers in the second round. Maybe the Cardinals in the first round. We'll see. I'm just glad you're calling him Matthew. That's just for you. Uh, curious about the rookie quarterbacks, though. We had a, a large rookie quarterback class this year. Uh, we sort of saw what their success rate was this year, right? Mac Jones ended up making the playoffs. Going forward, though, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Davis Mills, Justin Fields, quarterbacks like that, if you have any perspective of how they'll fare long-term vis-a-vis this year. Yeah, I think 
my my biggest take on this is that people have been like too quick to absolutely disregard anything that has happened in players rookie season and like people cling very tightly to their priors based on uh the lead up to the draft which is based on watching these players against college competition and yeah you can say that uh players drafted by the jets and the bears and the jaguars aren't in ideal situations but at the same time this is the first time we've seen them play against nfl players and I don't think you could say that none of this stuff matters. And for Lawrence, Lawrence Wilson and Fields, all of them, I think, have probably, uh, especially for uh, Lawrence and Wilson, underperformed what we what we would expect for a rookie quarterback based on where they were drafted. And that doesn't mean that this their careers are dead or hopeless, but this is not what we would hope for for someone drafted um, in. At, at the number one or number two overall picks. Um, and even for Trey Lance, this is someone that their team traded three first round picks for, and they had a, a, a must win game in the last week of the season. And they, they started their injured, injured throwing finger quarterback over him. And that quarterback won the game. Um, so I don't know. I don't think that's exactly a point in Lance's favor either. So I think like, this quarterback class was billed as one of the best quarterback classes we've seen in a long time. And I don't, I don't think we should change our minds about that, but collectively it's been kind of a disappointment relative to expectations where if these players really were as talented as we thought coming in, we would expect more of them to kind of pop and lead efficient offenses as we have seen rookie quarterbacks do in the past. This is a fight that Kevin and I have had offline, which was basically like, Peyton Manning's rookie season is doing a lot. It's doing a lot of work for people who want to say that your rookie season doesn't matter. But since then, is it true that we've seen that rookie quarterbacks who end up being very successful NFL quarterbacks, their rookie season ha- has mattered and they've been good as rookies? Yeah, the like if you look at the players who are the most efficient to the start of their career, um, it's, it's people like Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson and... Uh, I'm trying to think of other names, uh, even Joe Burrow, um, Mahomes, if we're um, counting just um, his first however many starts, even if they weren't all in his rookie season, like those are the players that ended up in efficient offenses. And at the other side, we see people like uh, Josh Rosen and like all these other quarterbacks who you don't you don't want to be. With. And none of the rookies have been that bad. But the idea that we can't learn anything about quarterbacks in the rookie season, I just I don't think that makes sense. Like for every Josh Allen who struggled at the beginning of, the, of his career, there's all these quarterbacks who never turned into anything. So um, I, I think that like the, the responsible thing to do is, is take our priors based on draft position and college tape and update them with what we've seen this season and uh, adjust going forward. So like for Trevor Lawrence, like he might still have an amazing NFL career, but this season has still been kind of a disappointment, I think. I think more so than Manny, it's Josh Allen that's doing the work now. But you looked this up, and Josh Allen was better as a rookie than most of these quarterbacks have been, right? Was better as a rookie than Trevor Lawrence, than Justin Fields, than Zach Wilson. Yes, yes, he he was, but certainly not 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 good enough that I think those of us who were Josh Allen skeptics when he came into the league changed our priors based on his rookie season. It took a few years for that to happen. He was still like a joke going into his second season, a bit of a punchline, but. I, I think Ben is right that, you know, people tend to look at this as either 
well, a rookie season is definitive or a rookie season means nothing, is if those are the two options. And they aren't. The rookie season means something, but not everything. And definitely is that true for the NBA as well? Yeah. I mean, you know, people are always like, oh, how dare you re rank players after 50 games in the league? It's way too early. It's like, you know, we just ranked them before they ever played any games. It was called the draft. Did you miss that? (laughs) Yes. The NFL teams ranked them. Okay. So taking those rookie quarterbacks, Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Jones, Davis Mills. Is there anybody I'm missing in there? That's everybody in order, right? Oh, Trey Lance. Lance. Yeah. Yes. How, how would you rank them? Let's say that the Seahawks were to flip Russell Wilson for a rookie quarterback tomorrow. How would you rank them long-term and who you would most like to have? I mean, I, I guess this, this is a good question and it's not obvious. I My answer would be the, the highest drafted person that hasn't shown too many red flags, which I guess would be Trey Lance at this point, even though he's the one that's been sitting uh, for most of the season. I don't feel strongly here. <laughs> wow. I would not take Trey Lance. I would still I, well, hypothetically take Trevor Lawrence, but it, it would be hard to get, get around a Trey Lance. You'd, you'd say him over Mac Jones, despite the fact that, as you've pointed out, Jones's situation isn't as much better than, you know, in terms of the offensive line, at least, than the other rookie quarterbacks, as people think. Yeah. So I think that's a fair question. And maybe I've been reading too much tape slash draft slash tools Twitter. But I think like the upside of Trey Lance really is enticing. And in part because his team hasn't played him, which should be a red flag in and of itself, but um, he, he hasn't shown um, that he can't be in an efficient offense. So I think it would be my answer, but I really like, if someone wanted to say Trevor Lawrence, then I, I have no issue with that. I, I think Trevor Lawrence, not like, I know his receivers aren't great, but, that team struggling so much, even with Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottenheimer, like, yeah, you can point to Urban Meyer as being a joke and that's fair, but he, like, he has adults in the room as coaches and today aside, the offense really hasn't been great. I, I think is like, it, it's not a deal breaker and he's still the same person that we saw playing at Clemson, but it's, he's, he's not, I, I think that should revise our opinion of him somewhat if not to a great extent. This might age very poorly, and I'm okay with that. Oh, a lot of this podcast might age poor, very That's poorly. That's fine. That's what yeah. it's about. Just I, like I our guess, over-unders, or yeah. just like my over-unders, at least. That's why we do that. <laughs> I, I guess you didn't You didn't point out in the past, you've, you've noted whether somebody would have made money by betting on them. Uh, uh, yes. So the return, again, pending the, uh, the Chargers result, it would have been, uh, you would have made 4% betting on mine, 10% betting on Tristan's, and lost 24% betting on bets. Yeah, only only bet the locks, ignore the rest. <laughs> Chargers currently in late. I, I guess since we don't have playoffs to talk about for the Seahawks, uh, do, do you have, we could do this percentage chance as it wise or whatever. Who do you think is going to come out of the AFC and the NFC this year? I think for, for the AFC, I'd be pretty surprised if one of last year's finalists, Bills or Chiefs, didn't make it. And then for the NFC, I think all the teams at the top are pretty similar. So the, the team with the buy, which is the Packers, is, is probably the most likely. Um, and I think betting markets agree with that. Um, yeah, basically this whole answer has been mostly what betting markets think. And I, I don't see any reason to deviate from that. It really feels like it's finally <laughs> Packers Chiefs time. We've been waiting on this for a long time, right? The Super Bowl one Packers Chiefs. Yep. Yeah, we, we still haven't seen Mahomes Rogers because... 
uh, thing, things keep happening to detract from that. So we'll, we'll see. Well, things happened. They sure did happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's the probabilistic matchup, but still the odds of Packers chiefs, you know, aren't better. It's very low. Yeah. One in five, one in six. So yep. you like the Buccaneers though, Kevin? I, he, ben does make a strong case that the Buccaneers not only don't have to play an opening game, even if that's a, a relatively easy opening game, and yeah. then you know you you potentially have to go on the road if things play out for the championship game. So yeah, I, I think the the Packers probably are the most likely, even if I think the Buccaneers are a better team in a vacuum. All right. Well, I think it's going to be a fun playoffs. Uh, even if the Seahawks aren't going to be participating, it does feel like maybe because the Seahawks aren't going to be participating. Oh. Zero stress. <laughs> Root for I, your I takes, like, not the Seahawks. <laughs> I would like another another week of Seahawks football. But I thought you were going to say Matthew Stafford interceptions. But <laughs> we'll get that. We'll get that. Maybe two we'll see. No more than that, though. Uh, it's been a fun year paying attention to the Seahawks. Obviously, this off season. Look, I mean, content wise, if Pete Carroll were to go, it'd be great. Uh, and. If, you know, it's one of those things where if you could choose who the Seahawks were hiring, we'd love to see it. If not, we will run it back and have another season of Seahawks football. Ben, thank you for joining us. This is your fifth year in a row? I, I would guess 2018 was the first one, but honestly, I'm not sure. That, it could be more than that. Uh, obviously, we'd love previewing the season and reviewing the season with you every year uh, to get your... Uh, 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 to to, uh, to dampen my expectations for both. So, on that note, thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. I'll try to do better with my over unders next time. And uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs>